1: Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa tamio
2: And it's a Thursday. Hope it's going well for you. It's September 7, 2023. Much to discuss this morning. We have, out of the gate after the news and the weather, we have the amazing Father Mitch Pacwa, of course, really needs an introduction from EWTN and his wonderful programs and his many books, his uh, scripture programs and his live programs on radio and TV here on the network We are going to take a look at a feast coming up tomorrow, the Nativity of Our Blessed Mother, and he will explain, and he's written many Marian books, including one all about Our Lady and the many feast days, and he joins us at 15 minutes past the hour. Then another well-known EWTM personality, Dr. Ray at 39 minutes past the hour, also author and speaker, host of The Doctor Is In. We're going to take a look at what's happening now where there's all these subtleties, not so subtle anymore, Coming across about a new push for masks and COVID lockdowns. Now, what I want to discuss with the good psychologist, Dr. Ray Gurendi, is the psychological impact that we're still seeing from the fallout of COVID, masking, lockdowns, all the problems, the epidemic of loneliness that we've talked about many times here, and what's happening. So, this is a very, very important story, and I am noticing, and perhaps we'll discuss this tomorrow in Fact Check Friday or, again, we'll discuss this with Dr. Rae today, how the media are pivoting these stories and how they're placing them, and we're seeing it more and more. Here's the thing. Even if you take the politics out of it, and Vanessa Denha Garmo and I were talking about this on my show, I believe yesterday, in terms of the way the media cover things, the media love fear. Fear is a business model. That's why you see a lot of horrible stories about shootings and fires, also because they're very easy and cheap to cover, It doesn't take a Pulitzer Prize winner or an investigative reporter to go to the scene of an accident or a fire or some other tragedy. And then, as I say in my book, Noise, really milk it for all it's worth. Live shots all day long. And that's why you see so much crime and also other types of stories on the news. And so if they can keep people fearful, it's the whole thing about NIMBY, not my backyard, to get people to watch because they want to make sure it's not happening to them or near their kids or family. You can keep them Tuned in. And so the media made a lot of money off of COVID. Part of it was a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, and there was a big study that came out about this done by the Media Research Center. The connection between the amount of advertising that the pharmas put into the big three networks during COVID and how those COVID stories and the fear mongering kept going. Not to say that there weren't people who struggled with COVID and many people passed away from it, not to say that it wasn't serious. But certainly the fear factor had a lot to do with it. And we now know, based on research and numerous studies that have come out, that the vaccines, while, and that's a very personal decision, and that's what the church said about vaccines, if you want to take it, fine, and weren't forced to take it. But many people did lose their jobs for refusal to take the vaccine during the whole COVID, you know, the whole thing that was going on. But the whole thing has to do with The research that now shows that the vaccines, although they may minimize the symptoms, did not prevent COVID from spreading, nor did masking, nor did lockdowns. So why are we looking at this again? Why? What's behind it? Especially when there's still so many issues in education, uh, psychologically, relationship-wise. I mean, there's problems all over the place, even in the church. Monsignor Pope talked about this. He was on our show, I think it was back in, uh, gosh, well, a while ago, talking about an article he did, Raising Questions and Very Good Questions and Concerns. And I think we have to take this very, very carefully. If we move in that direction, again, that's just my personal opinion, but Dr. A is a professional psychologist, and he's seen firsthand when it's done. So we'll talk with him about that. And that will happen at 39 minutes past the hour and again Father Mitch Pacwa joining us at 15 minutes past the hour okay national weather service we have heat waves continuing and severe thunderstorms threatening parts of the country excessive heat warnings and heat advisories are in place for parts of the south central U.S. today while a heat wave will continue in the mid-atlantic and northeast locally damaging wind gusts marginal hail and heavy rainfall will be possible across the Northeast into the Mid-Atlantic and the Southeast, and that will happen today. And then we'll also have an update on the hurricane that's coming up in the news. It is five minutes past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. Let's get started and see what's happening in and around the world on a Thursday. Well, you can learn more about this developing story from our friends at CatholicNewsAgency.com. They're reporting that the bishops here in the U.S. are issuing a letter criticizing what they say were shortcomings in proposed federal rules meant to address alleged discrimination against LGBTQ individuals in programs receiving federal health and human services grants. CNA reporting HHS had issued a notice of proposed rulemaking earlier in the summer that the department said was meant to, quote, affirm civil rights and equal opportunity for people nationwide in HHS-funded programs and services. That new policy would protect LGBTQ people from discrimination, they said, in important health and human services programs by clarifying and reaffirming the prohibition on discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in certain statutes. In a letter released this week, however, the Office of the General Counsel within the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops warning that the rule reinterprets certain federal non-discrimination statutes in a way that could, within the operation of Catholic charities, for example, create possible conflicts between the rules and the requirements and Catholic teaching. In California, the Rockland Unified School District Board there is approving a transgender notification policy. The vote coming at 1240 local time this morning. That was more than six hours after last night's meeting began and parents now must be notified by teachers or staff if their child wants to identify as transgender or gender nonconforming. Parents will also have to be told within three school days if their child wants to use a different name than their legal name, pronouns that don't align with their biological sex or gender, or if they want to have access to different sex-segregated school programs or activities. That includes using bathrooms or changing rooms that don't align with their biological sex or gender. Well, the calendar says summer is almost over, but the weather didn't get the memo, apparently. Reporter Kristen Dahlgren explains from New England that a region there not used to this kind of heat right now is actually getting a lot of heat along with other parts of the country.
1: September is late in the season for a heat wave here, but the World Meteorological Organization says it comes after the hottest August on record, the second hottest month ever, right behind this
2: July. Record-breaking heat continued for much of the U.S. on Wednesday and more is on the way. The National Weather Service expects scorching temperatures to keep impacting millions through Friday in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast and through the weekend in and around Texas. Miserably hot weather also returning to the desert southwest where Phoenix will be under an excessive heat warning from Saturday morning through Sunday with afternoon highs expected above 110. The Weather Service issuing a heat advisory yesterday for regions that are home to more than 90 million people. And Mark Mayfield tells us new projections show Hurricane Lee could actually make it all the way to the East Coast.
0: The hurricane formed over the Atlantic Ocean on Tuesday and is expected to strengthen into a Category 4 storm by Saturday with wind speeds of up to 150 miles per hour. Our European forecast model predicts the storm will stay out at sea and not make direct landfall with the U.S. However, the American model shows Lee hitting the edge of Cape Cod and heading up into Canadian waters. Hurricane Lee could strengthen into a Category 5 storm, as temperatures in the Atlantic are warmer than usual.
2: Federal prosecutors planning to indict Hunter Biden by September 29th on gun charges, according to a court filing. The president's son agreeing to a plea agreement that would have spared him jail time for allegedly purchasing a gun as a drug user. That deal had Hunter Biden entering a diversion program, but the agreement fell apart in court in July. That plea deal also included tax evasion charges, but it's unclear at this point where those stand. The manhunt for an escaped murderer in Pennsylvania continues. Daniello Calvicante escaping a week ago from the Chester County Prison. That's about 25 miles west of Philly. New video of his escape show him using the same route as another inmate who broke out back in May. The search had been focused on an area within a two-mile perimeter around a residential neighborhood near the prison, but expanded earlier this week when the convicted killer was spotted on camera at a popular botanical garden that's about three miles from the prison. Lisa Taylor tells us the Senate will start moving a package of government funding bills next week.
1: It comes as Congress is racing to avoid a shutdown at the end of this month. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he expects the first votes on Monday. The top Democrat urged Republicans in the House to follow the Senate's lead and work with Democrats. A group of House conservatives says it would oppose any funding bill that does not include conservative policy priorities on spending levels, the southern border, and the Justice Department.
2: Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says no plans to retire amid concerns over his health. I'm going
3: to finish my term as leader, and I'm going to finish my Senate term.
2: This comes after two recent medical incidents where the Kentucky Republican froze up while taking questions from the press. A Capitol attending physician clearing McConnell to continue his schedule and said occasional lightheadedness is not unusual following a concussion. McConnell suffered a concussion back in March. Contract talks between the UAW Union and the Detroit Three automakers now a week away from expiring, and the UAW is threatening to strike at all three if an agreement has not been reached. Wayne State University business professor Merrick Masters out of Detroit says avoiding a strike will be very difficult.
0: It's going to take a near miracle for
4: them to get an agreement by next week.
2: Progress, though, has been noted in the talks with Ford and GM, and the GM expected to make a proposal today. The union wants a 46% pay raise and an end to a two-tiered wage system and to be paid $40 an hour for a 32-hour work week. The Biden administration is being asked now to investigate a shooting that happened earlier this month along the Texas border with Mexico. A National Guardsman shot across the Rio Grande and hit a man on the Mexican side.
0: It's alarming and it's tragic, but unfortunately it's also not surprising because Governor Greg Abbott has militarized the U.S.-Mexico border
2: That's the opinion of Texas Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro, one of several Democratic lawmakers who are demanding a Justice Department inquiry into what happened. It's still not clear why the guardsman shot across the river. A federal judge, meanwhile, is also ordering the state of Texas to remove the so-called floating border wall. The Justice Department is suing to get the system of buoys out of the Rio Grande. There are allegations that Texas is violating international law. And the Fire Department in New York unveiling the 43 names added to the World Trade Center memorial wall. The members died of illnesses related to their rescue and recovery efforts on September 11th and at Ground Zero.
4: These 43 individuals possess bravery and dedication. They honored their oath and they embodied what it means to be a member of the FDNY.
2: Chief of Department John Hodgins says this is the second largest group of names added to the wall since it was created back in 2011 when 55 names were added. Officials say the number of firefighters lost to 9-11 related illnesses then more than two decades later is almost as many as the 343 members who actually died during the tragedies. From fake Taylor Swift tickets to promise of student loan forgiveness, Aaron Riel tells us that scammers are very busy tapping into the latest trends to target consumers.
1: Some of the top fraud schemes seen this summer are the following. Taylor Swift fans eager to buy tickets may have found they were conned. Summer vacationers finding the rental listings for both short- and long-term stays were not legitimate and borrowers hoping for student loan relief falling prey to scams. Common warning signs include aggressive advertising language, big promises, and requests for login or other confidential information. Experts say the best defense is a good offense. Keep your personal information to yourself and do not share your address, social security, or credit card numbers unless you are certain the website or app is legitimate
2: and using the internet in moderation linked to cognitive benefits to folks over 50 according to new research a study out last month in the journal of the american geriatric society found that people over 50 and up to 65 who use the internet on a regular basis do see chances of developing dementia drop by nine percent however Don't grab that laptop or phone too quickly or spend even more time on it because the same study says using the Internet for more than two hours a day increases risk for dementia. Finally, in our news segment, at about 13 minutes past the hour on a busy Thursday morning, September 7th, Rebecca Hughes tells us a tree to be used in the nation's capital for the annual Christmas celebration has now been chosen.
1: The tradition of the people's tree began in the 1960s when the Speaker of the House planted a live tree on the Capitol lawn that only lived a few years. So in 1970, the architect of the Capitol asked the U.S. Forest Service to have one of their national forests provide a tree that would be harvested on their forest, sent to Washington, D.C., and installed on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol. That very first national forest in 1970 was the Monongahela National Forest here in West Virginia. Amy Albright of the U.S. Forest Service says this year the architect of the Capitol selected a 63-foot tall Norway spruce from West Virginia which will be coming from our Greenbrier Ranger District, which is actually very fitting because that original 1970 tree was also a Norway spruce from the Greenbrier Ranger District. So 53 years later, we're coming back around full circle. You can learn more at uscapitalchristmastree.com.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, this program Catholic Connection, produced by Ave Maria Radio out of southeastern Michigan and EWTN out of Irondale, Alabama. Websites for more info, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. Father Mitch Pacwa with our Cultural Connections, coming up on a Thursday. Stay tuned.
5: The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting through their way from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. You remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good? He said, Only God is
6: good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic.
5: The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, Resuscitation of the Rosary, a Fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and Mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady.
6: For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com.
2: 17 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. It's a Thursday. Cultural Connection. With Father Mitch Pacwa. Really needs no introduction, but you will find him all over the website of EWTN with good reason because he has many programs and has authored many books, including one which will tie directly into our conversation for today, a beautiful Bible study for Catholics on Mary, Virgin, Mother, and Queen. The actual title, Mary, Virgin, Mother, and Queen, a Bible study guide for Catholics. And you can find that in a number of places, including, of course, the EWTNreligiousCatalog.com. So, Father, thanks for joining us. I thought it would be a good idea to really give us something positive this morning to help us get closer to Our Lady, which is always a good thing, being that tomorrow we mark on the Catholic calendar the Nativity of Mary. And I'm wondering how many of us really know what we're discussing when we look at this feast day. Good morning. Thanks for joining us.
7: But glad to be with you. Glad to be with you, indeed. Um, yeah, today is uh, the, the... Well, tomorrow, I should tomorrow, say, yeah. is the... Uh, memorial. It's not a feast, so it doesn't have the same uh, solemnity as other feasts. Feast,
2: we a, call and, it a more memorial, right? Yeah. Okay.
7: Right. Right. And uh, and so this is um, a celebration that the church has. Uh, it is basically coming from a book that many Catholics don't know very well. Hmm. Um, uh, but it's available. You can go online and get a copy of it in English very easily. It's called the Proto-Gospel or Proto-Evangelion of James. This is a book probably composed in the 120s A.D. So it's not part of Scripture. It came after the um, uh, the, the Apostles had already been martyred and uh, will will never be part of scripture, but the Greek manuscript, um, there's a number of them, and it is cited, it was known, by St. Justin Martyr. Uh, So it was, you know, St. Justin was living in the uh, 140s through about 160. Um, And this gospel, uh, again, it's not canonical by any means, but it tells about the uh, birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and this is how we know the name of her parents, uh, Anna and Joachim, and how they were elderly and childless, and then the Lord, uh, you know, gave a revelation to them both. That they would become parents in their old age. Uh, and this was after a lot of lamentation. St. Anna was, um, you know, very sad uh, that she didn't have any children, but in her old age she did give she gave birth to the Blessed Virgin. And this is described, and she says in her prayer, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl, no, I just want this to be. Uh, I want a child, and um, I want this child to be dedicated to the Lord. So, uh, she even gives a prayer about how this will magnify the Lord as soon as the uh, Our Lady is born, and then they also, uh, being elderly, they also dedicate her to service in the temple, very much the way that Anna in the Old Testament had dedicated her first son, Samuel, to serve in the temple from his early childhood. So this, this feast uh, is chosen because, uh, on the 8th of September, because that is nine months after the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. the 8th of de- December and, this, and, and the date of this feast is dependent on the Immaculate Conception that we go back to that as the starting point and that is uh, a solemnity it, it's not even just a feast it's a solemnity, a holy day of obligation uh, because that marks off the beginning of our salvation by an act of god's grace that she was conceived without sin but Mm -hmm. now we celebrate the birth as a memorial um calling that it would be obvious that after nine months after uh the immaculate conception uh the blessed virgin mary would be born
2: so the Proto Evangelium of James. Give us a little bit of, more of an idea of, of of to what that is referring, yeah. and why in this particular case the church uses what's in this to give us well, this memorial.
7: Yeah, it, and and again, I, I, I mentioned that it is not scripture. That's right. why there are no readings from that book at the uh, the the church readings. Uh, it's just not accepted as scripture, but. And the feast is not based on that book. The feast is, or the, this memorial tomorrow is based on the immaculate conception. That's the dogma church. So, so it's not dependent on this book. But this book has been read by the early church uh, since the early first century. Now, at least since the first half of the first century. Now, what? The, the various scholars, I've not gone into deep scholarship on it, uh, but what what I have read is that a number of scholars believe that it's written in the 120s A.D.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, and secondly, it comes from the family of our Lord. Remember, there were other family members living in Nazareth, and uh, the the, uh, the area. And uh, in, in fact, some of the descendants of the apostles, uh, their, their grandchildren, were arrested by the emperor. I think it was Marcus Aurelius. Uh, not too many years after all this. Uh, and they arrested thinking that they might try to start some kind of uh, insurrection or something. And they saw they were... Just simple people. Um, but it was these descendants who uh, apparently are the source. And that's what's believed, that they are the source for this. These would be family memories that were passed on. We have other examples of, that, uh, of those kind of memories coming from the family. For instance, uh, I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned him before, but St. Hegesippus? Do you know that name?
2: No, no, I don't think you have mentioned it.
7: Okay, St. Gesippus was a Jewish nobleman who converted to Christianity. And he, in the second century, he met a grandson of the Apostle Jude. And he said, oh yeah, Clopas was the brother of St. Joseph. And his wife, who was standing at the cross and also named Mary, was called Our Lady Sister, but it was Our Lady Sister in Law.
2: Ah. That word.
7: Right. Uh, you know,
2: Let's then, pick this up on the other side, Father, so we uh, don't get cut off by the break. More with Father Mitch Bakwa, Cultural Connection, taking a look at the memorial on the calendar tomorrow Nativity of Mary. More coming up with Father Mitch. Stay tuned.
3: What is going to happen to the number of people living alone into their 80s and 90s? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. For various reasons, the number of seasoned saints in their 80s and 90s is climbing fast. Within this decade, the first baby boomers will turn 80. Gray divorce is a thing. And of course, there is the reality of our mortality. As expected, more females will enter their 80s and 90s alone. These statistics are sobering, but they don't have to be depressing. Some like living alone. Many of us have family nearby. But the stats show that families and public policy will be affected greatly by this demographic shift. So what can we do? Plan ahead. Honestly assess your health and abilities and make adjustments, even to your home. Embrace technology to help you on this journey. Build community with your family, friends, and in your parish. And remember, Jesus is always with us. It's a promise. For more, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
1: Father Benedict Crochelle.
4: I don't think people should have negative fears of God, but I think you should get a lump in your throat. You should feel excited. Suppose I was going to take you and introduce you to the Pope or to the president of some country or something. You might get a lump in your throat. Forget it. Every day, you, I, live and move and have our being in the presence of God. These are the class of feelings we should have, and we should have them to an intense degree, if we really had the sight of Almighty God. These feelings are the feelings which we shall have if we realize His presence. And in proportion, as we believe that He is present, we shall have them. And not to have them is not to realize, not to believe that God is present to us.
6: EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.
2: Every Thursday, Good Lord Maling, we speak with the one, the only Father Mitch from EW Chen Radio and TV, noted author, scripture scholar, and speaker, in addition to being a great host. We're kind of focusing on his book, he has many of them, but Mary, Virgin, Mother, and Queen, a Bible Study Guide for Catholics, and you'll find it, of course, at the religious catalog at EWTN because tomorrow, Memorial Day, we're mar- a memorial on the calendar this particular day, September 8th, Nativity of Mary. So, Father, before we got cut off by the, uh, by the satellite break, let's continue what you said earlier, and then I do have a couple of questions regarding the Proto-Evangelium of James. Father, are you there? Father. Oh, Father Mitch disappeared. We're going to call you back. If you're just tuning in to Catholic Connection, we are talking about the day on the calendar tomorrow in the Catholic Church, Nativity of Mary. And Francisca Media, along with Catholic Answers, has some great summaries on this. The church has celebrated Mary's birth since at least the 6th century. And we mentioned this earlier with Father Mitch. A September birth was chosen because the Eastern Church begins its church year with September the September 8th date helped determine the date for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th. Father also mentioned that earlier in our first segment. Okay, we got you back. We lost you there for a yeah, second.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. just dropped. Sorry.
2: That's all right. Okay, so Father, I wanted to let you finish what you said before the break, and then I have a couple of questions about the Proto-Evangelium of James.
7: Yeah, um, uh, so uh, before the break, um, I, I was talking about how we have other uh, material... From family members of our Lord, and uh, that includes um, various things such as the, um, you know, the, I mentioned Saint Hegesippus meeting with uh, the, the uh, family members uh, of our Lord, and so that that's a important source for us.
2: In terms of the Proto-Evangelium of James, and you mentioned this as as writings to to review and to consider, the Church looks at a lot of things when making Mm -hmm. a decision or putting things on the calendar, especially, obviously, in addition, because when I read about the Memorial for Tomorrow, St. Augustine is quoted quite a bit, with some quotes about the Blessed Mother. So just because this is not in Scripture does not mean we should necessarily just toss it aside, right?
7: Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Again, this is why... The Bible itself does not say that you use the Bible alone. That that idea of using the Bible alone is not found in the Bible. That is something that um, is uh, you know, a, a, an idea that came up in the 1300s to use the Bible alone. Uh, that, it, it, I use this as an analogy. Can you imagine somebody who has never seen a baseball game and has never hung out with Americans who know how to play the game and they hear a strike, but it means that you missed the ball
5: mm-hmm.
7: and that a ball means that it doesn't count. Um, and a lot of other things that you're out, but you're still in the stadium. Why, why are you saying these things? You, know, it's, you need a, a living context to understand the vocabulary of baseball. And, of course, you need the living tradition in order to understand uh, something as profound as Sacred Scripture. So we've got uh, these very old traditions, and they are all extremely important to us. So that's one of the things that we uh, include in our understanding of uh, the truth of Scripture, is sacred tradition. And these were traditions passed on, uh, not as, you know, something like, I always say, it's not like the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is a tradition, and a very beautiful one, but it's not from the Apostles. But it's still very important. So also, we have these other traditions that are extremely important for our faith um, that, you know, tell us a lot more about the truth of the Gospel. So that would be uh, one of the things that I would uh, strongly urge people to understand. Now, One of the obvious questions is, wait a minute, you're talking about the family. Are you saying that the Blessed Virgin Mary had other children? No, I am not. Um, And there's a good reason for not saying that. Um, If you take a look at the names of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, especially his brothers, they're listed. And uh, in uh, Mark 6, verse 3, and I think it's in Matthew 13, when he goes to Nazareth. And then, as James and Joses, later on in the Gospel, we see that there is a woman standing at the cross with Mary Magdalene and uh, Salome, whose name is Mary, and is the mother of James and Joses. And she is also then identified in John as the sister of the Blessed Virgin Mary.
2: Mm -hmm.
7: Now, from this this tradition, we have from St. Hegesippus meeting family members uh, of our Lord that Mary standing at the cross was the wife of Clopas, the brother of Joseph, and therefore Our Lady's sister in law. And furthermore, if she has children, they would be our Lord's cousins.
2: Cousins, right? right. This
7: and and this is not dependent on interpreting uh, various elements of uh, you know tradition or something. Uh, it's it's taking a look at these statements in the sacred scripture in regard to um, you know. Uh, these uh, very important parts of, you know, the sacred scripture, that we have uh, this material describing these folks, and this is extremely useful for us to understand full context of who these brothers and sisters of Jesus are. They're the children of Joseph's brother and and, uh, sister-in-law. It's this is part of understanding fuller context. If you say no, I'm only going to go with the scripture again. This is a concept that came from Marsilius of Padua and um, uh, William of Ockham in the thirteen early first half of the 1300s, uh, 1320s to 40s. Uh, it had not been taught before that he's only the Bible and. It limits you, right? because there's so many... And it also problems. doesn't
2: make sense, because it, it, you, you have so many and so many verses that, that are incomplete, or um, you, you can't understand them in context, they don't make sense. You could right. pull them out, I guess, and just say, well, this, that, or the other thing, but if you put them in context with Scripture, which we're always called to do, then they exactly. make sense, and also with church teaching. So, fascinating. Father, thank you so much. What a very, very informative segment two segments on the nativity of the blessed virgin and don't forget father wrote a beautiful beautiful book mary virgin mother and queen a bible study guide for catholics you can find it at ewtn's religious catalog ewtnreligiouscatalog.com speaking of ewtn dr ray Grundy joins us up next on a thursday stay tuned
5: Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. Let us strive to know the Lord. Quick question to you and me right now, is that what you and I are doing every single day? When you and I wake up every day, do we strive to know Jesus or not? In the Old Testament, in the same book of Hosea, a little bit later on, it's in chapter 14, the Lord says through the prophet, my people perish, or in another translation, my people are being destroyed. Because of a lack of knowledge. Not a lack of data, we got tons of data. Not a lack of information, we got a lot of information. Not just about things that are happening in the world, we got a lot of data, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information about God. But not a lot of intimacy with God, not a lot of relationship with God, not a lot of friendship. That's the cry of God's heart. God wants to give himself to us in the incredible gift of friendship, and we're not taking advantage of it. Ray Garendi there's a simple step to raising a more grateful child I used to say easy eliminate half of their material possessions I don't say that anymore that's ridiculous I say 75 percent they don't even miss 50 22 stuffed animals you go down to 11 not exactly a hardship simple step to raising a more grateful child Don't be so free with the material stuff. Research has shown more generous people, by and large, have less. You give a child less, he's more willing to share it. He also is more able to occupy himself with things like boxes and dirt balls and rocks, worms, stuff that doesn't cost a whole lot of anything.
2: Notice a lot of stories surfacing pushing for reconsidering mandatory mask wearing and pushing more vaccines and possibly looking at lockdowns again where is this coming from why is it happening I was mentioning in the first hour of my program with my Michigan listeners, but also I believe I said this at the top of the hour, if my memory serves me correctly, that uh, for the media's sake, the media love things that promote fear, because fear is a business model. And I write about that in my first book, Noise, and subsequent books about what the research shows and what I experienced also, and why they promote bad news, okay, because it gets people's attention. Just like when you're driving down a freeway, God forbid, and there's a terrible car accident, traffic tends to slow down because people are looking at it. It's just that psychological thing that happens. But what could, speaking of psychological impact, what could this mean if we go back to that or can take this even more seriously, what they're looking at? I wanted to bring Dr. Ray on this morning because there's such an an impact that we're still feeling from COVID in terms of the lockdowns, in terms of the masks, in terms of how It created a failure in people being able to relate to one another, not to mention all the other complications and sad stories of people dying alone in nursing homes and so many things that still haven't been addressed at all. So Dr. Ray Garendi, of course, noted psychologist, author, speaker, host of The Doctor is in right here on EWTN. Dr. Ray, I know you've been seeing a lot of these stories. What do you think, first of all, is going on? I mean, you've seen quite a few of these. I know I have. I was just looking at one this morning, or two or three of them, actually, on the wire service we use. Good morning. Thanks for joining us.
0: We are a society that runs screaming into the woods. Anything that even remotely... Looks like it could risk our well-being. We freak out as a society. Small example, T. They were talking about a surge in COVID cases. Well, first of all, it's a variant. And as viruses do, they mutate to a weaker form because if they mutated to a stronger form, they kill off their host. So it's not a surge; it's a blip; it's an uptick, is what it is. And you would kind of expect it. It's a, it's a coronavirus; it's of the family of the cold viruses. Now I'm not a medical person, but T. Back in the beginning of all this, I said this is going to have psychological reverberations that will continue for years and years and years and years. And you're seeing it now. What has happened? Give me the definition of a phobia, T. And you tell me if this isn't a nationwide phobia. A phobia is an irrational fear, way beyond the proportion of danger involved. And it has to constrict a person's freedom of movement. Does that sound familiar?
2: Yes, very familiar.
0: Nationwide phobia. And what has happened is it's irrational. Phobias are irrational because there is no danger. Now, back in the early days, of course, there was danger. This was a serious virus. We didn't really know what it meant. But now we have a lot more information and a much, much better way of treating it. But what's happening is I think this is what we've created. I walked into my drugstore the other day, and, of course, the big plastic shields are up. And I said to the lady, I said, do you think they will ever take these down? She goes, well, I hope not. Just like that. Just like that. And, and I looked at her, and I didn't say anything. She said, well, you know, this is dangerous. I didn't say anything anymore. But I think there's just a ton of people out there who have been shaped into thinking that way. And I don't know if they'll ever, ever get over it.
2: So what does, in addition to the phobia and in, ter- in terms of the fear, and you and I have talked about this a lot, of course, I know from my background in the media that fear is literally a business model. There's, it, it comes not just with this type of a thing, but the media love this because it keeps people tuned in. And also, there's a lot of advertising dollars involved. Don't let people fool themselves on this. There's a big connection between these drug companies that were involved early on in COVID and, and, and the pressure that they had from, that they gave to the news media to keep reporting these stories you know, from the sales departments and the advertising departments. But let's talk about what you're seeing in your practice of people who suffered through this because of the isolation and problems with children, with education that we're still seeing. What are you seeing, Ray, right now as a result? You talk about the fallout from COVID.
0: If you look at the statistics, T, the suicide rate among uh, 12 to 17-year-olds is as high as it's ever, ever been. The anxiety reports and the depression reports and the suicidal ideation are off the charts. Now, you could say, well, that's just a reflection of our deteriorating culture where we said God has no place here, so we will try to make our own way, and we're just reaping the results. You could say that, but I think what has happened is you. this has never been done before. They have never quarantined the healthy that we know of in any kind of approach to an illness. You know, in 1917, the Spanish flu, 1917-18, proportionately killed a lot more people than COVID did, and it killed younger people. All right. So, so what has happened? They didn't shut everything down then. They, they, they had quarantines, but it was of the of the ill. We've never done this. We've never ever done this, and I think it is reflection of we've just become a society that says. I can't tolerate the idea of any sort of risk whatsoever to my well-being, and therefore I will. I will retreat. I will. I will huddle under the covers. I see it. I mean, I've got. I've got a guy that came into my office whose parents were both in their 80s, have not left the house yet. Wow. What three and a half years? They haven't left the house yet. And quote unquote, they were. He describes them as very, very religious, and they haven't been to mass.
2: Wow. Uh, I wondered
0: you, about that. T. I, I said back in the beginning of all this, I said, you know, we we those of us who consider ourselves faith-filled Catholics, uh, we admire the martyrs. And yet we were all ready to quit going to mass whatsoever at the risk of a virus for people under 50. That was very small. But yet we said, no, no, we're not going to we're not going to go. I'm not gone. Mm-hmm. uh that's it's a commentary on us it yeah. is a com- you better look at yourself and if you were one of those you better say in fact how important is my faith to me yeah.
2: Chatting with Dr. Ray Grundy, author speaker, psychologist, a host of The Doctor is in, looking at the, the follow-up from COVID with new concerns being raised about possible lockdowns coming back and also mask mandates. There was a, a congressman yesterday who introduced, or this week introduced a, a law asking people to vote on this to ban the mandates because they did not prevent contagion and that it should be up to an individual preference if people for example ray are vulnerable if they're elderly if they maybe have a more susceptible system immune system that is up to a, a, it's a personal decision if somebody wants to wear a mask the same thing with the vaccines now the vaccines we now know may you know limit or make it a little bit easier to handle covid in terms of you know your, your symptoms and whatnot but that too did not prevent the, the virus from being passed on. And that was the main reason they kept saying, wear your mask, we need the lockdowns, we need the vaccines. So again, if you want to take them, fine. If, if you think, or if you're in a position where you're, you're maybe, a, gosh, a cancer survivor or something, and you're very susceptible. But this doesn't seem to be the way they're going. They're talking now and get and those who are not accepting this are getting real negative pushback again. It's kind of like a repeat of where we were, despite the fact, as I just said, that we have this information that what they were claiming was the answer did not work.
0: It's amazing how you can't read a whole culture. We attempt, the, the intelligentsia among us, the decision makers, the policy shapers, they think they can read a whole culture. Well, I think, in fact, they're going to dramatically underestimate the resistance to this. If you, if you attempt to push this, across the board, which I don't think they're gonna do, T. I don't think that's gonna happen. All right. Already, already some of the places are backing off, some of the hospitals backed off. But if you push this, I think they will be shocked at the level of resistance from people. It'll happen. I, I, I think I, I think they think they can simply declare this on what basis? And people are going to say, okay, the first time around was the unknown factor, T. Now it's not quite so unknown, and there's, there's going to be tremendous resistance. And I think I, even the bishops will resist. I can't speak for the bishops, but I don't think the bishops will shut down the
2: churches. Even though, for example, you said when you walked into a local you know, pharmacy in your area, the plastic uh, you know, uh, was still up, and, and the woman was saying, I hope it doesn't go down, and then one of your clients was telling you, you know, his parents are still in the house because they're afraid. So even with those folks, you think that people will resist? Because there still are a lot of people, as you have experienced, who are afraid.
0: Back in the beginning of all this, I said we're going to create a permanent percentage of germaphobes. I said, that will happen long after this whole COVID episode is passed. There will be those who will now be hyper aware that there are germs in our environment. You know, the irony this, this is this, this is the grand irony all this. They, they said a huge, huge factor in COVID severity and lethality was obesity.
1: Mm-hmm. Obesity
0: is a monster factor in this, but yet nobody will talk about that. They will not say if, if, in fact, you want to have better resistance, get yourself in better shape.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: they don't talk about that. It, it's interesting the selectivity from a psychological perspective on all of this. Years ago, T, I, went, when I was in grad school. The big self-image movement was you've got you to have self-image. You've got to have self-esteem. You've got to think you're a wonderful human being. Well, that has morphed. That has morphed into this idea that you can't say anything about me that I don't want you to say. Sorry for the noise. Big trucks just passed That's
2: okay. me right now. No worries. No worries. So where do we go, do you think, right now? What should people be doing? Because I know a lot of people, Eve, I know there's a percentage that are still very fearful, and there's a percentage that, again, may need to or feel the need to use a mask or or increase, uh, you know, get some more vaccines, which are available. For the most part, I think, as you said, I do believe that people are just like, okay, we really, I think the scales, you know, have fallen off our eyes in a lot of ways, and not that this can't be a serious uh, illness. It can but realizing that we have to move forward and deal with this like we've dealt with other things, as you mentioned. We talk about well, the, the flu, we talk Exactly. Exactly anything
0: serious illness. What's going to happen? I think I want to speak to the, those of us who say we are faith filled Catholics and our world is not here. You can't live in fear. Right. You can't be so afraid of dying that you stop living. And if if we're going to call ourselves Catholics, and that, that that our world is beyond here, then we we can't cower. We can't sit and say, "Oh, there's there's something invisible out there that could get me." And what does that say? What does that say about not only our faith, but our mental stability?
2: Well, I think there has to be. I think the, there's the,
0: going to be certain people that that they're not going to change. The teeth.
2: Yeah. But I think there has to be, of course, the Catholic Church is all about balance. That it doesn't say throw throw caution or health you know, concerns to the wind. But again, to live in fear, like those people that you described I mean that's very sad. And of course, we also know that what happens in isolation, in terms of so many people struggling with breakdowns, and, and I'm sure you've seen this too. And, and the the whole epidemic of loneliness report that came out from the Surgeon General, you know, the COVID had a lot to do with that as well. And, and all these different stories that were never covered that never came to completion in terms of investigation, what happened to people in nursing homes. And I always said, Ray, as, as I did not want, obviously, my, my mom, Rosie Posey, to pass away, but I was grateful that it was her time before the lockdowns because that would have killed her. That that would have been the worst thing for me to be that not be able to go and talk to her and hold her and hug her I just can't even imagine, and my heart goes out to those people who experience that. But those things have not even been addressed, nor are they talking about no. the studies that have been out showing that no. what they claimed they were pushing on us, mandating, did not work. So it's like reality. Okay. Toss it aside. Let's get the fearmonger going again. The fearmongering going again.
0: I, I saw something the other day, Tia, I think is so true and explains so much. An organization or a movement would rather collapse than admit it was wrong.
2: Right.
0: And I think that's what you're witnessing. There's just, there's, there's, they're not going to say, who, whoever it is that is pushing a lot of these ideas, and it's, it's the culture, you know that, it's the shapers, the opinion policymakers, they're not going to say, oops, maybe we should rethink. They're not going to say it. They're not going to say it. They're simply going to move on. It's what I call in a marriage. I say in a marriage, a lot of times people don't say I'm sorry. What right. they do is they just move on. Okay, let's just forget it and move on. I, I don't want to say I'm sorry. And I think that's a big cultural, I don't want to say I'm sorry. Let's just move on. Well, the problem is uh, there are those who don't want to move on. Uh, they, they will try to push this. I mean, Anthony Fauci is now kind of emerging again. Um, they'll push. But I, I don't think, I got to believe it's not going to go anywhere because it's just too much downside that has been revealed.
2: Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you for your insight, especially as a devout Catholic and a psychologist and an expert in this topic. Dr. Ray Grundy. don't forget to tune in, of course, so the doctor is in right here at EWTN. Looking forward to chatting with you tomorrow, along with Doug Keck and our Fact Check Friday. More coming up. We'll wrap up in about two minutes. Stay tuned.
0: Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? But for many, work is a grind where we struggle to survive for the sake of our families. A new Heroic Men Summit calls all men to set aside two hours on Saturday, September 9th. Join three powerful Catholic businessmen, including Matthew Kelly, who will discuss how work can bring freedom, meaning, and growth in holiness. Let's do more than bring Christ to the workplace. Let's
6: discover Him already there. This is the Gospel of Work. Register free today at HeroicMen.com. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter.
3: CMF Curo is the Catholic health care option you've been searching for. From concierge service to ethical consultations to partnerships with one of the nation's largest health care sharing ministries, CMF Curo offers a pro-life, Catholic approach to your overall health and well-being. Find out today if CMF Curo is right for you. Call 833-GET-CURO. That's 833 get or visit mycatholichealthcare.com.
2: Thanks so much for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Tomorrow on a Friday, Doug Keck, our President and Chief Operating Officer, with the inside word, the scoop on all the great programming coming up so you don't miss a thing. Fact Check Friday and a new book from our friend Dr. Edward Shree on Praying, A Deeper Path to a Relationship with the Lord. Great suggestions. Talk to you tomorrow. Adamani.
1: You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit avemariaradio.net. That's a v e Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.